welcome to episode 349 of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. A couple of announcements before we start. Our friends at IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, will be having their yearly conference online here in 2020. It'll be August 14th through 16th with over 60 presenters and panelists. It's a low price. There are many speakers on different topics related to the afterlife, grief, etc. And you'll get the videos on demand after the event if you can't join all of it live. So you can visit IANS.org to find out more. That is IANDS.org to find out more. The other thing is that I have what's called a Patreon page, and it is if you'd like to donate a dollar per episode to this show, you are welcome to do that. We have many episodes, as you know, and on purpose, I have come. Uh, kept it commercial free. And most podcasts are funded by commercials. And ours is commercial free. And every so often, well, I could use a little help. So if you're somebody who'd be interested in donating a dollar episode, um, you certainly don't have to. But if you'd like to, you go to the website patreon.com, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n. And it's where the search box is, you can either type in Sandra Champlain or We Don't Die Radio. And of course, you can cancel at any time. On to the show. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Wyatt, who is the best-selling author of the book, Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying, which contains stories of patients she cared for as a hospice doctor and the spiritual lessons she learned from them at the end of their lives. Dr. Wyatt also hosts End of Life University podcast, which features conversations with experts who work in all aspects of end-of-life care. She teaches that in order to live life fully, we must each overcome our fear of death and embrace the difficulties that life brings us. You can find out more about Dr. Wyatt at her website, KarenWyattMD.com or the End of Life University's website is EOLUniversity.com. Dr. Karen Wyatt, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. It's such a pleasure to be here talking with you. Oh, pleasure to have you. Big smile on my face. Tell us a little bit about you and how your journey began. You've done some extraordinary things, so we'd love to find out more about you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, um, it's a, I could tell you my entire life story because as I see, looking back at it, I see how all the pieces fit together of various times in my life. But, um, but I'll start when I was a young doctor trained in family medicine to just do a general practice and take care of patients of all ages, very excited and happy to be doing that medical practice and just really getting started as a young doctor and there was a sudden tragedy in my life when my father died by suicide. 
And as you can imagine, it was absolutely devastating to me sure. to have him die in that way, to have him really make that choice of, of how and when to end his own life. And But particularly because I felt extremely guilty. As a doctor, I'd had training in behavioral medicine, and I had helped a lot of patients who were suicidal and depressed. And the, the thought that I couldn't help my own father, who was one of the people I loved the most in the world, just absolutely tore me apart. And I really started to question, like, am I doing the right thing? Should I even be a doctor? I must be terrible at it. I couldn't help my dad. And so, so I suffered with a lot of guilt and grief and just confusion about why am why am I here and what am I doing and why did all of this happen? And it took me about three years of being really lost in all those negative emotions before I one day I had this inspiration in my head to call hospice. And at that time, I wasn't even sure what hospice did or what it was about. But I called to see if they could use a volunteer who happened to be a doctor. And as it turned out, the director that I spoke to that day said, I don't know why you called us, but 30 minutes ago, our medical director resigned. And we are not able to keep our doors open if we don't have a doctor working with us. And she said, and then you show up. <laughs> and so wow. it's like, in that moment, I started, I became a volunteer for that hospice. And it, it was like such a divine spark in a way. And it turned out to be exactly what I needed to help me through my grief, and through that process, by just kind of diving in to death and dying and grief of the families and the patients that I was caring for. And I just, I, I, I healed my grief. I learned so much about the spiritual journey of life and the end of life and facing death and learning also something I already believed in or, or knew was aware of um, the afterlife, but being able to see example over and over again with my patients of these incredible experiences they were having uh, as they approached death, it, it just completely changed everything in my life. So I ended up becoming a full time hospice doctor. And, um, and I just I fell in love with the work. And it helped me become the person I was meant to be. And so today, I'm no longer practicing medicine, I retired so that I could start writing books and speaking and doing a podcast, because I felt this need to help educate people uh, beyond just one one on one work with patients individually. So, so that's how I got here to where I am today. Amazing, amazing. I just, if I had a hat, I'd be taking it off to you right now, for really your commitment to people. Could you share with us some of those stories about experiences people had before passing? Oh, yes, uh, I saw many patients like, like what I what I came to observe how I would describe it or how it appeared to me was that the physical body was beginning to dissolve away in a sense as if it was becoming less and less solid and material in a way. And the soul was becoming predominant for those patients who were very close to death. And when they reached that point, so many of the patients would talk about 
seeing their loved ones who were in the room, who came and were waiting for them. And they were very, very comforted by the visions that they had. Some of them talked with their loved ones and would describe conversations they had had. Others just talked about seeing a beautiful light, seeing and feeling love. And for those patients who had those experiences, their fear seemed to completely disappear. And they they had this beautiful aura of light about them and seemed to be completely at peace as they were completing this physical journey here on earth. And it was so reassuring to sit with them and listen to them talk and tell their stories. And it it validated what I had understood from a very young age that there's something more here than this physical existence. And so all of that came together for me as well by having this opportunity to sit with them. Uh, Dr. Wyatt, there's so many people, and I used to be one of them, that used to think, oh, the seeing the light is just a natural part of their brain shutting down. You know, you hear those people that say that, I'm sure, with the near-death experiences and things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just coming from if I was skeptical listening to this, how would you know it was their loved ones or what, what comforts you knowing that the afterlife is real or is it just a faith? Well, um, I guess, I, I guess it's a, I guess I can't say for any individual person that I would know that it was their loved ones, but there were some really interesting occurrences. In in one case, our patient was a, a man with Alzheimer's who at the very, in the very end stages of Alzheimer's had not spoken for a year. He had not been capable of speech for one year. So he had not not spoken to anyone or spoken to his wife at all. And we were caring for him in the very last days of his life. When I came to visit one day, his wife was so excited. And she said, something happened last night. I have to tell you about it. And she said, John was asleep in his room and I was in the next room. And in the middle of the night, I heard a voice talking. And she said, I got up and went into John's room thinking, did someone come in in the middle of the night? And she said, it was John. And he was speaking she said, and it was his voice, it was him. He was totally articulate and totally lucid and speaking. And he was talking to his brother who had died several years before. And he said they were having a conversation back and forth. And and so in that case, it's a case where we had observed medically deterioration and decline in this patient's brain functioning, and yet he was still able to speak when he was in this state as he was very close to death. And so she knew from his conversation, it was his brother he was talking to, calling him by name, describe, they were talking about past experiences they had had, he was laughing and reminiscing. And so... So hearing that story and hearing her say, I know that his brother was here. I know his brother's waiting for him. Uh, that fits, I, that is congruent with what I believe and what I've experienced in my life. And so I guess I can say, I can say it's based not just on a belief, but on some of my own experiences uh, with um having dreams and and visions of people that I love and care about after they died. Oh, that's really nice. I 
think it's good to be a skeptic because it gets us on this journey of looking for evidence, which now with me, 20, almost 25 years later, no one can convince me otherwise. And I, I'd never push this on people, but it's, it really is the journey. And there's so much to uncover. One of my favorite stories, I think it was in a um, Martha Atkins TED talk, but she says there was a, a young boy who was in hospice and he kept looking at the corner talking to what his family thought were three imaginary friends. And it was just before he passed. And the names that he gave were the names of the last three boys that, that were in that room. And wow. Yeah. Those kind of things, you know, come on. Yeah. They're there. We're all greeted and carried over. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I had always been a very, I was very spiritual, even as a child. And I remembered, you know, having discussions with my mom when I it was in elementary school, and I was trying to describe to her that God is so much bigger than the God that she was trying to talk to me about that sounded like just a human being, mm-hmm. <laughs> a powerful human, that there was something else like God, no, no, God is so much is bigger than that. Like, God, you have to think bigger. And um, I never I never understood like, how was it that I how did I know that? Where did that come from? But then I remembered when I was five, I had some sort of health incident happened. And apparently my heart stopped and my dad did CPR and the paramedics were called. And so I was talking to actually to someone from IANS who said, you probably had a near death experience when you were five. I don't remember that at all. So I would never claim that without having a memory of it. But then all of a sudden it started to make the pieces fall in place. Like, why did I seem to have this knowledge that was beyond my years as a child? And then why is it that I feel like I've just always known that there's something else there. I've al- I've always known it my whole life. I've never had to go through a process of trying to believe in it or questioning it, that it was part of me, part part of the knowledge that I came here with, or maybe that I, maybe I encountered it when I was five. I don't know. You know how great the world would be if kids got that message at the age of five and how we would all grow up and what a different world it would be. Yeah, it's, it's really true. I I can say that it it made a huge difference for me all through my life of being able to see things from a different perspective and being able to understand like, oh, well, this isn't this isn't all there is. So this isn't really so bad what we're going through right now. And there's still grief to overcome no matter what we believe the body grieves. Oh, exactly. And, and I definitely went through that with my dad. In fact, what part of my belief system was shattered in a way by my dad's death, so that I could reevaluate it, I think so that and also so I could grow up and mature a little bit since I had this this awareness that the awareness of a child, you know, that that came to me as a child, I had to go through the pain of having all of that shattered and destroyed when my dad died, so that gradually, all the pieces could come back together, maybe in a new way. And I could see with even more depth and broader understanding, um, this, you know, the spiritual realm that that is around us. And isn't it interesting to be looking back from where you are now and just seeing how all those pieces of the puzzles uh, happened so that you could be where you are today. 
Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. And never when I when I was going through that terrible, terrible pain of my dad's death, I at that point I would not have thought that there would be a day like this when I could look back. Because in the midst of it, it's so hard. It's so hard to see things fitting together. And um I and I just remember, you know, day after day kind of floundering in all mm-hmm. of it. And yet I see the value in a way of going through that time of suffering, you know, going through the pain of it in order to to come out on the other side and to have to have learned so much in the process. Yes. I always think of that pine cone, can't remember what kind it is, that needs to be subjected to a fire. So severe heat before it can start to grow. And I always think of us and the deep grief and some of the worst challenges of life. And I just imagine from that, there is this little blossom or this little thing starting to grow our spirituality that gets us in search of the bigger questions and, and what the journey's about and, and all of those things. And I don't know if we will always have it if we don't have something that'll cause, you know, the our, our earth to shake, so to speak, or that um, little growth to start. It's so true. And I, I uh, over the years, like, I love that story, too. I talk about that all the time, the, that the, the um, seed coverings of the pine cone don't mm-hmm. open unless they're exposed to high heat. So the new seedlings can't grow without the fire. Um, and over the years, as I've done my podcast and interviewed hundreds of people about their journeys and what led them to to do the work they're doing, I hear I hear amazing stories, but they're always along the same lines. Everyone has gone through some kind of suffering and pain in order to get where they are today. And so I I do believe it now it gives me so much hope. And every time I find myself in a place of of my own of my own suffering or returning to grief again. Now I have that overriding knowledge that I can't see where I'm headed now, but I know that there will be something on the other side of this. I agree totally. And we're recording this amidst the COVID-19 pandemic 2020 when everyone's lives are shaken up, but there's also been some blessings in it as well, you know, more family time, slowing down, looking to see what's what's important. So I do think from this time, you know, in a couple of years or 10 years or whenever it is in the future, we can look back and say, wow, you know, without that happening, we wouldn't be here. Yes, exactly. And I see so many people now who are confronting deeper issues that they haven't looked at before they haven't needed to you know life just seemed comfortable and they were complacent in a way and it really has it has shaken the world up and so I think it's a powerful time when a lot of people are being asked to grow and transform Yes. And I don't just downplay at all people that have suffered great losses and um, lost their job or lost a life or been ill or so many things have happened. So you do have friends and there are people to reach out to, which we can talk about more a little bit later in the show. Uh, But I'd, I'd like to know about, well, first of all, how long were you practicing hospice doctor? 
Well, I, I practiced in hospice off and off. I, I practiced as a doctor for 25 years and I did hospice off and on all throughout mm-hmm. that time. Once I got started, I loved it so much. And the only thing that, that shifted is that we moved to a new community that didn't have oh. a, a hospice where I could work full time anymore. So I went back to my family practice and then did hospice on the side as a, a volunteer, but I stayed involved in hospice all throughout those years because I I loved the work so much. It was so meaningful. I know many people that have volunteered with hospice and they don't have that fear of dying. And I mean, it's I know it may not be an easy thing to do because, you know, you fall in love with people and they don't last, I guess to say, physically anyways. Um, But what a beautiful, beautiful thing to be there for the people and their families. Um, Yeah, I just think I really commend all of the hospice workers and volunteers. And hospice is nothing to be afraid of. I think when you hear the word hospice, you think, okay, that's the end. Can you just speak a little bit about what hospice is? Because I think, I don't know, honestly, if everybody knows how cool it is for a resource for people. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're correct. A lot of people don't know, and they may have only heard of it vaguely, but um, so hospice is, it's kind of a system for caring for people at the end of life. And it's, it's um, a benefit that's available to people through their through Medicare or insurance that's uh, for the last six months of their life in in general um, patients need so need to be approaching the end of life but uh, six months or left or less left to live and the care is provided by a team of providers so there is a doctor, but there's a nurse, a social worker, and a chaplain, and a volunteer. So every patient gets assigned this entire team of people who will make visits. <clears throat> Most hospice care is provided in the patient's home, and so provided that they have a caregiver who can who can be with them at home and help provide the care. There are inpatient units where hospice can be provided um, 24-7 if the patient needs that professional care around the clock. And then patients can receive care wherever they happen to live. So if they're in an assisted living facility or a long-term care facility, they can get visits from the hospice team there also. So this team of people has been specially trained to work with people who are dying. And so what's different about it is that, excuse me, there's no longer a focus on curing a disease or a focus on how can we treat what's happening to you to make it better. The focus becomes on how can we help you live as fully as possible with the time that you have left. And that's the really interesting part. The whole staff is is committed to helping people be comfortable um, physically, but also emotionally and spiritually and helping families come together, helping them all along this journey to have the best experience they possibly can and making sure that no one feels alone as they're going through it. So the family can be trained in, you know, how to care for their loved one at home, how to be with their loved one. And, um, the hospice staff, the social worker and chaplain are really good at helping families come together who may have conflicts between them. You know, they can help them work through that so that 
so that they can all be together with a sense, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> with <clears throat> with love and compassion as as their loved one is facing the last days. It's really amazing and remarkable care. And in my opinion, it's some of the best medical care that our system offers to people because of that team approach. And really all all types of medical care should actually be given in the same way, I think, with the same, a team of people who just care about you as a whole person. And as far as pain medication, <clears throat> they are, I, I, my dad spent a little time in hospice trying to regulate some of his medications. Um, and <clears throat> really to make people comfortable that are experiencing pain, correct? Yes, that's um, the the majority of of our training as hospice providers is in f how to help with physical comfort, and so we learn a lot about uh, medicate various medications that are available, but how to use medications in sometimes in a different way. We combine them in certain ways to help with physical comfort and to alleviate other symptoms. And so the average doctor doesn't really get the same knowledge through their training or even in the, the work they do with patients. When they treat pain, they write a prescription and hand it to the patient. But we're there with them every day and we have lots of creative ideas for things we can add or change in order to help with pain. So that's part of, of our, that's probably the most, one of the most important parts of our training is how to make sure patients are not in pain. Now, I, I will say not, probably not every hospice is as good as other hospices, because, you know, it all depends on how much training the staff has had. But that's the goal always is to provide that comfort and to get the medications titrated properly. So, so that the patient doesn't have to go through pain. Oh, great. I know mankind's biggest fear is dying. I do. And I think once we handle that we don't die, and now I can't believe you're episode 349. Wow. You know, we've done a lot of talking about the evidence of the afterlife, which is great. But then it leaves nobody wants to suffer. And it's really great that there are um, places like hospice. And I had no idea that most hospice is provided in the home. Oh, wow. You know, I, I had no idea. So thank you for sharing uh, the, that about hospice. Mm, you're welcome. I wouldn't mind we talk about what you're up to now, because I, I didn't know about End of Life University and your podcast and uh, your book just came out, didn't it? Yes. Uh, well, I'll explain that. Yeah, it came out in May of this year. Wow, great. Um, while I was doing the hospice work, I kept, I mean, I, it was an amazing privilege to sit with patients at the bedside and just listen to their stories and listening to them tell me what they were learning as they were looking back on life from the from the very end of life here on planet Earth. And, and I, I, it became clear to me that they, each one of them was having some sort of a spiritual experience and a and spiritual learning that was happening at the end of life. And I got to be the student just sitting and listening and taking all of that in. Of what is it like to be at this, this time in your life when you know you only have a few weeks left to be here? And 
over time, I be, I began to gather their stories because they were so powerful. And I would journal every day and write down some of the stories patients had told me. And one day, um, a patient said to me, you know, I have just learned the most profound lessons of my entire life. And he said, what makes me sad is that I'll only be here a short while longer and I won't be able to share this this knowledge and this wisdom with other people. And he said to me, would you tell my story? Would, would you teach other people what I have learned? And I made a promise to him that day that I would. And so I knew in that moment, someday I'll, I will write about this. Someday I'll write a book or something. I'll write these stories and I'll, I'll be the voice for my patients who didn't have the opportunity to teach other people what, what they were learning. So I, all, I knew all along at some point I would write a book and I tried it at various times while I was still working and wrote a few, you know, a few pages here, a chapter there. All of it I thought was terrible. You know, I, I just I was really frustrated with it, not getting it done. And finally, 10 years ago, I left medical practice in order to write that book. I felt like this book is really important. I have to get it written. So I left medical practice so I could full-time work on writing. So the the original version of the book came out almost 10 years ago after I finished writing the first, first version of it. And then it kind of sat there and I sold some but I, it didn't seem to get out in the world the way I wanted it to. So at that point, I decided maybe I needed to start doing something more than just writing. And then I, I started doing interviews with people that became my podcast, End of Life University. So I thought, I, I want to find a way to teach people about death and dying and hospice and all, all these issues. So I started the podcast. And... Um, Lo and behold, a year and a half ago, a publisher, Watkins Publishing from the UK, came to me and said, we would like to re-release your book. Would you like to revise it and update it? And so I created a new version of the book, and then it got republished. Um, you know, with a with a publisher that could actually help me get it into the world. And so that's the latest version that just came out in May. Oh, that's nice. Seven lessons for living from the dying. How to nurture what really matters. That's great. Now, can we honor this gentleman and have his message be heard by more people? Would you share some of his wisdom? Yes. Well, he he was a, a very interesting patient because he had spent his life, he was... Um, in finance and he was very very successful financially he had a huge home several cars um, lots and lots of material possessions and when I came to visit him the first time he walked me around his house he showed me everything that he owned but he was very sad and we sat down to talk about it and he said I've spent my entire life focusing on how to be rich and how to have as much wealth as I possibly could. And he said, but I sacrificed love in order to do that. He told me he had, he'd been married, he had a son, but he'd been estranged from them for years. And he said, I gave up love to have this. And he said, none of this means anything to me. None of this is important at all. 
And he said, I, I, don't, I don't care about any of the wealth I have. I don't care about any of the work that I've done. None of that is important. And he said, I realize now that love is the only thing that really matters in life. And I didn't pursue it when I had the chance. And so ultimately, we helped him get in touch with his son who came to visit. So he was able to have an experience of of the love that he felt he had given up on before. He was able to um, reclaim that for himself. But it was powerful for me to see that someone who had had a value, a materialistic value in life, which is true of so much of our society. People put their possessions and their wealth ahead of a lot of other things in life. To hear him say, at this point, I, I don't care about any of this. I don't want it at all. It's meaningless. And so so he was, he gave me the term, what really matters. <laughs> when he said that, I learned what really matters. And also the lesson of love, that that love is is how we should be spending our time and energy cultivating more love. Oh, can you tell us this gentleman's first name? Uh, well, I refer to him as Ted. So he's we'll Ted. Say Ted. In my book. We'll say Ted. For for everyone listening, including myself, I just think that's a really perfect thing to hear because how many of us are living on that hamster wheel? We just keep living in the future and working hard and and let's just uh, raise a glass, whether it's a glass of tea or a glass of wine or whatever that is, to our friend Ted. And thank you, Ted. Your message lives on. Yeah. Well, where to next, Karen? <laughs> we have more time, and I love your stories. And I'm, what do, where do well, we go now? I thought a story popped into my mind, which I, which tells me I should probably share it. I it think. came into my mind um, a moment ago. Of a friend of mine died um, around five years ago uh, after seven years of dealing with breast cancer. And so I got to be part of her journey, partly involved in hospice, but mostly as just her friend and listening to her. And she, uh, she read my book early on in her illness. And so she began right away to focus on these lessons. And she said, I don't know if I will live or die. I don't know what's going to to happen what the outcome will be. But she said, it's so clear to me that I just need to focus on spiritual growth. And that's the perfect thing. And no matter what the outcome is, she said, I'm moving toward the place that I need to be anyway. So she said, I'm using this illness as a way to grow. And she shared the book with her husband and her two children and they talked about it all the time talked about all the lessons about love and forgiveness and how you know what that meant to them in their lives together and worked through so many issues and this all took place over seven years of time and um Eventually, she had a recurrence of her cancer, and the doctor let her know that that all of the treatments they had tried at that point they were trying were were not working. And she was totally accepting of that because she'd been she had allowed for that possibility from the very beginning. Like I don't know what will happen, I don't know what will come, and so she had she'd stayed in this open place of really surrendering and just living life as fully as she could in every moment. So when when she ended up 
being admitted to hospice, she was totally accepting of that's okay, because that's just what's next for me on my journey. And so the part that I the part that I had a vision of that I really wanted to share was um, about two days before she died, I came to visit her. And it was the last time I saw her. And she was absolutely glowing with light. That's this is something I I just I just want to share how beautiful it is like someone who like just her soul was fully visible she was glowing and she could only whisper at that time and she whispered to me I'm not sad and I'm not afraid and then she looked at me and she said is that okay and I said that's beautiful it's beautiful and she said I know that I'm leaving my husband and children. And she said, but I just know that somehow they will be fine. And I know that this is, this is what's, what's meant to be and what's meant to happen. And she, it it was phenomenal for me to see my friend and to know that she, she met her death. It just full of light and full of love. And it was a totally beautiful and transformative experience for her family, even though they were they were grieving and they felt the loss of her beautiful presence. Uh, something amazing happened dur- during all of those last months of her life. That's really inspiring to know that it is possible to be like that. I I think that's wonderful. I think most of us you know, it's the big, it's the great unknown and nobody wants to die. And, you know, we think about it and I, well, I think about it sometimes and I'm pretty tough, but then I think, you know, there's been, how many people have walked this earth before us and they've handled it, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They, They got through it, you know, and, um, and now everything that we know, there's a great quote, and I don't know where it came from, but it's our life is but a thread in the fabric of our soul. You know, there's such a much bigger picture to it all. And I want to ask you too, is how do you think, well, I, well first of all, let's, I want to make sure we talk about End of Life University because I was looking around the website and I thought, what if people really could embrace death and all the little particles that deal with it prior to and things that are going to happen and all that like if what if we got that all settled in our mind now how would we live life well that's exactly why I wanted to write this book and I think for me that's a question I ask myself are these lessons I'm seeing my patients experience is that something you can only learn when you are on your deathbed is that something that you only really get it when you have a few days left to live or could is it possible to learn that earlier in life and Ted has said to me if I had known this 20 years ago, it would have changed everything about how I live. And so that made me decide I want to change everything about how I live right now. And I don't have a terminal diagnosis, so I don't know how much how much time I have, but I want to do this work right now. So I became kind of the laboratory, I guess, for my question. Can I learn these lessons? Can I learn? Can I practice forgiveness now? Can I focus on being in the present moment now in my life? Does that work? And so 
that really became the intention for all of my life is how can I, can I learn these lessons now and what does it change? What I discovered for myself is that suddenly I began to view every moment of life as precious, every moment that I'm here. And I had a strong desire to not waste my time to especially not waste my time with a lot of negative emotions. I don't want to waste my time being angry or upset about things. If I could quickly get myself back to a place of joy and love and grace, I wanted to get myself out of that anger and not spend time there if I didn't have to. So for me, that that became like that manifested itself over all these years of time now that I've been working on writing the book and putting it out in the world is seeing my own life change. And so that reinforced for me the importance of putting these lessons into the book and bringing it to the world and encouraging people like my friend Mary Lou did, encouraging people if you are willing to look at it and face the fact that you'll die one day, it could change everything. And it could bring so much more meaning and fulfillment into your life right now if you actually commit to it and do the work. Oh, that's really great. Really great. Um, yeah, my mind is just thinking of what would be possible. Really, you know, I thought one day, and this might sound a little bit morbid, but you know how we have all these nice meditation things and healing and visual imagery and the journeys. I thought, what if we had one that we are approaching death and looking back on life and we shut our eyes for the final time and we open them and we are crossing a finish line and our loved ones are there and our pets are there and we're our perfect age but during it, Karen, I was thinking when we look back, do we, did we do what we wanted to do? Did we say what we wanted to say? Uh, did we focus on love and forgiveness? And, and so I have not put that meditation together, but I just thought, you know, if we could embrace that now, I think we'd get a heck of a lot of things done. Relationships would be healed. Oh, you're so right. I totally believe that. And uh, as an addition to the story of my friend, Mary Lou, um, her daughter, as we were going through this process, and she's approaching the end of life, her daughter was engaged to be married in Hawaii. And um, Mary Lou said, my goal is I have to make it to her wedding, I need to be able to go to Hawaii and be there for her wedding. And so we worked together on this goal for her to to be at the wedding and be there to see her daughter Mary before she died. That was the one thing that she really wanted to accomplish. But two weeks before the wedding, Mary Lou um, got very sick. She took a turn for the worse and it was obvious that she wasn't strong enough to handle a flight that far away all the way to Hawaii, you know, and, and go through the stress of the wedding. So she called her daughter and said, I just can't do it. And she was, Mary Lou was crushed because it had been such a plan for her. Well, two days later, her daughter and future son-in-law showed up. They flew here to be with their mom. And I, I went to visit and I said, well, when are you going back to get ready for the wedding? And she said, very calmly and just with this huge smile on her face, oh, I canceled the wedding. And I said, 
what? <laughs> like, what bride could cancel a wedding two weeks before the wedding takes place? And she said, she said, well, of course I canceled the wedding. Being with my mom is what really matters. She said, a wedding, that that could happen anytime. But being with my mom is what's important to me. So I'm here and I'm staying here. I'm And we're not leaving. We're staying here to be with her and to help care for her. And I was blown away, <laughs> blown away after all the bridezilla stories yes. I've heard <laughs> of brides who would, who would, I mean, I, I think, to cancel a wedding that you've been planning for a year was huge. And yet for her, it was very small compared to being here and showing love for her mom and taking care of her. And in the end, this daughter and and her fiance got married on the deck of her parents' house. Her brother came to the wedding and they, they had a friend officiate the ceremony. They played music on a, CD player, they picked wildflowers, they baked a cake together, and Mary Lou got to be at the wedding in the end. Oh, it was just a so completely nice. different wedding than they had imagined. So like that, again, was a powerful lesson to me that, wow, not only was Mary Lou working on learning what matters in life, but she taught her children so much so that her daughter just willingly let go of all of her plans and completely reshaped her wedding. And um, so, wow, this family, <laughs> so many powerful stories that, that came from them and just how beautiful their relationship was and, and how they cared for one another at the end of Mary Lou's life. That's beautiful. Not everybody is lucky enough to have their parents still alive, but for those of us that do, love the heck out of them. They gave us so much for us to be here. And it's just a really great, great, great story. And for those whose parents are not walking along as a human, they can still hear you. They're still with you. They're still cheering you on. So that's really nice. Tell us a little bit about End of University, your website. Well, it's the uh, End of Life University. It, it accompanies my podcast. So the podcast episodes are available through there, a link. I also post blogs there. And I have had the desire of just providing as much education as possible for people. So every time I hear questions that come up or what people are looking for, I try to find a way to provide that to them, whether someone I interview for my podcast or um or a blog that I write. And I've created a few courses. One is on do, filling out advanced directives to help people with that. And another course is actually how to teach a class on death and dying. Cause I met lots of people who said, I've had experiences too. And I want to teach other people in my community, but I don't know how to put a class together. So I made a, a course to help, to help would be teachers learn how to, how to create their own class so that because I really feel we need a lot more education about end of life issues and by helping people who want to teach learn how to just do the nuts and bolts of of teaching online or in person I can I can help them I can help get more classes out there in the world this is so important and I am going to be your champion and share you as much as I can in this interview cuz it's so important it's something we don't hear about too much 
you know, we're concentrating on so many things busy in life. Yes, there's people that want to learn about the afterlife. We talk about living life fully, but not much about end of life. Yeah, and isn't it interesting? I mean, given that it's the one thing that we share we're all going to do <laughs> every person that how little we really talk about it. And it makes me sad that we've lost that aspect in our society, because at least I believe that a little more than 100 years ago, people must have talked about it more because most people died at home then and they yes. received medical care at home and funerals were held at home also. And so uh, it feels like we were, we've distanced ourselves from all of that so much. And it's, it's really just a natural part of this physical life, even though we're, we're also having a spiritual life. We chose to come here and be in physical bodies. So this is what happens to physical bodies. It's, it's a natural process. And uh, it it's feels sad to me that most people don't, don't get as much out of it as they could. They experience so much fear, and they tend to uh, deny it and avoid it when if they could simply embrace it, it, it could have so much meaning for them. I agree. It, it is, everything that I do with We Don't Die Radio is to help people who have experienced grief and also to help people live life fully. My day job has been for many, many years catering for race car teams. My mom and I have a business. We set up a big tent at racetracks and we serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's on pause right now because of COVID-19. But one of the race car drivers who won tons of championships, he had seen that I had written this book, We Don't Die. And very secretly, he's like, what's this all about, Sandra? And I told him, and he said he had never shared this story openly, but he said when he was in his 20s, he got into a terrible car accident and ended up flatlining on an operating table, ended up going into a coma. And he said, I was greeted by my grandparents in a world that made this life seem like just a dream. So clear, so vivid. He said, I knew what had happened. I knew I was with them. I knew I was fine. And he said he was able to, he actually felt himself hovering over his body, seeing mom and dad and his brother praying by his bedside. And he felt like he had the choice, continue on with grandma and gramps or come back. And he knew to come back. But he said he never forgot that experience. It was his, It's more vivid than any memory he has. And he said, without the fear of dying, I no longer had the fear of living. So I'm not telling people to put your foot that far down on a gas pedal, but for him, he could go a little bit faster. He could take the curves a little bit more aggressively and he won tons of championships. So whatever that represents in our life, knowing that ultimately we survive, you know, be safe, of course. But where is it that we aren't taking chances or that we haven't taken a risk or that we've been afraid? Maybe push the envelope a little. Mm. That's so true. Fear really causes us to constrict our lives in so many ways. And we're actually here to experience all of it to, you know, to blossom and grow and, and take in what life has to offer. 
Here's a little trivia. I think you probably know this, but I was just talking to my mom about this today. Back in the day, we were talking about 100 years ago, uh, people would die at home. In fact, they would die in the parlor. And that's where they or they would be put in the parlor. And that's where the viewing would be and family would come and things like that. And so as time went on, the word parlor just got linked to funerals and deaths. And so we have funeral parlors now. But the name was changed from parlor to living room. So that's why we have our living room is not to be associated with the parlor, which was associated with death and funerals. How about that for a little trivia? Yeah. Isn't that isn't that just great? I love that. Mm-hmm. That it's built right into the language we use every day. And, and I never once thought about why is this called, why do we call this a living room? Where does that come from? <laughs> there you go. Just a little bit of trivia. <laughs> Everybody remember that when they're doing, they're in their living room. Live, live fully. So we're almost out of time, Karen. What haven't we said or what would you like to leave people with? And before we do end, let's talk a little bit about the um, IANS conference coming up because you're the featured speaker. Yay. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I just I wanted to say that that if you can open your mind to be accepting of the idea of death, if you ever have a chance to volunteer with hospice or, or in a hospital or a place where you could sit with patients who are nearing the end of life, it's profound. It will change everything that you know and that you think about death and dying. It's a great opportunity to learn and it will help you with your fear. And so I encourage people to do that as much as possible. And if you just take one step forward and allow yourself to look at the fact that we're all mortal here in our physical bodies, um, you you can get through the fear that you have and you will find so much more peace of mind and so much true joy in just living life day to day once you get beyond that fear. So it's worth it to keep to keep trying and to keep working toward that. That's beautiful. Beautiful words. Yeah, fear can be a killer in it in itself. Uh, it's a it's hard to get out of our head. But once we start and we're busy on whatever it is we we're fearful about, the fear disappears. It's like fear can't multitask. It can't exactly. be there when we're busy. <clears throat> and and my talk for the IANS conference is called Love Over Fear, Life Lessons from the Dying. And so uh, the idea that it, once we, as we work through the fear, we increase our capacity to live with greater love. And once we are experiencing that kind of love, then we realize fear is quite small in comparison to the vastness of love and Beautiful. Well, besides yourself, we have some speakers like Suzanne Giesman, Howard Storm, Anita Morjani, Dr. Mary Neal, and 50-something others. And for the first time, and this is due to people not being able to travel these days, this will be an online conference. There will be several different online rooms happening at the same time over the course of the weekend of August 14th through 16th, 2020. And if you're listening to this in the future, I am pretty sure that you'll be able to go to the IAMS.org website and access these videos 
uh, and it's a nonprofit organization, IANS is, and there are, gosh, there's millions of stories of near-death experiences. And just checking out IANS.org, and there's a radio show. If you like this radio show, you'll love the radio show with Lee Whitting. But there's tons of stories, tons of comfort, tons of grief support, um, and it'll be a great conference. You'll be there. I'll be there. And um, I invite you, our listener, to join. You will get video replays of all of the speakers. So it is definitely something that I think will really be good for the soul. Mm -hmm. Really good. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, you're so welcome, Sandra. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So for our listener, if you are a book reader, you can find seven lessons for living from the dying on Amazon or request it wherever it is you get your books. It's also on Kindle. Karen's website is KarenWyattMD.com. And the End of Life University's website is EOLUniversity.com. Very easy to remember. And as far as us, this is episode 349 of We Don't Die Radio. That's right. There's 348 others. And you can find them all at We Don't Die Radio.com. There's a little pop up that says, Would you like to join our Insiders Club? And that's just a fancy name for my email list. Uh, or, and if you do, when you do, it says get a free, uh, I think it says a few chapters from my book, We Don't Die. Well, the secret is it's the whole book there because I want you to have all this information. Chapter 10 is a very healing um, chapter about grief. And so if you have experienced uh, the loss of a loved one or even a loss of a job or a loss of health or some kind of loss in your life, it it really helps understand what's going on in the brain and things we can do to get through it and to feel better. And there's also a healing audio called How to Survive Grief. If you're somebody who likes audio books, go to wedontdieradio.com, click on store, find the audio book there and type in coupon code free, F-R-E-E, and you can listen to it. We are now doing online courses and events and mediumship demonstrations. And uh, we have a Sunday service that we're doing that sprung out of this being in lockdown. And we're going on our 20th Sunday that we have prayer and music and inspiration and great readings. And we embrace the reality of the afterlife. So at the end of every service, there is a medium or two that does a medium demonstration. So that's, I think, pretty cool. I do think that's pretty cool. Those are all available to watch on YouTube. Also, if you want to watch one of the past ones, if you need a little support in your life, we have a Facebook group, we don't die listeners and just type that in and you'll join a group of a lot of people and we are here to support you. We really are. Absolutely. You can meet like-minded new friends and really get that support. We all need people. So in closing, I'd really like to thank you for being here. I am Sandra Champlain. I feel so delighted to have such interviews with people like Dr. Karen. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that our lives here on earth are important. 
So let's not wait till the very end and to listen to uh, make those differences and and um, figure out what's important in life. Let's start with love. And that's something we can all practice right now. So thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.